live in a desperate day, Lord, a dark hour, and we hear so many things, but your word alone stands above all, all the wisdom of man, all the other voices that we hear. We pray that you would speak loud and clear by your spirit and through your word today. As our class goes out over the airways, we pray you to bless it in that larger classroom, in places where people are at work or at home, not able to be because of physical infirmities or other circumstances. Would you give a special blessing to those today? And then, Lord, we look ahead to the worship hour, that you bless the preaching of your glorious gospel, that it would please you to save the lost and add to your church. Now, Lord, we come seeking your face. We're so needy and we're so blessed and we know that we're your children, and we come to you as, as our Father, asking these things in simple faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to Proverbs chapter 9 this morning, and our study of the Scriptures, Proverbs 9. And uh, we want to read here the first uh, few verses of the chapter. This is the chapter, and we would entitle it, Wisdom's House. Proverbs chapter 9, Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. Why seven? Isn't that interesting that the Holy Spirit would use and tell us specifically the seven pillars of wisdom. She hath killed her beast. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens and crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread. And drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Remove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple, and knoweth nothing. She sitteth at the door of her house, on a seat in the high places of the city, to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. In the beginning of our study, the book of Proverbs, we said there are four categories of people that you meet, and you see them all the way through. The simple the fool, the scorner, and the wise. All four of them are addressed in the chapter that is before us here. And uh, we see and meet these people all throughout the book. And in fact, all of people on earth can be uh, in these categories. Now, we say that on earth, people even fall, either fall into the category of being saved or lost. But beyond that, we see that in the lost category, in, in the Proverbs, the wise would be those who know the Lord savingly. But the simple and the, the fool and the scorner are among those who are lost. And we see their attitudes and actions described for us and displayed for us throughout the, the, the book of Proverbs. But godly wisdom is found in the word of God. Here we have the mind of God revealed to us. 
We know his viewpoint. God tells us what he thinks of sin, of salvation and sanctification, of living in his will, what it means to live in his will and with his blessing. Wisdom is seen here in various ways throughout the Proverbs. Here it is described to us as a house or a building or a temple. Uh, those pictures given to us of a stalwart, sturdy building, we might call to mind the Old Testament uh, temple with all of its grandeur and beauty there. Here the, the, the scripture describes it as having seven carved pillars carved out of stone, all picturing soundness and permanence and de- dependability. You see that the word used hewn, it is carved, uh, polished, beautified and adorned with the gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's another house here mentioned to us, as you saw in the latter parts of the verses of this chapter, and it's the house of the harlot. There's the house of God, and there's the house of the harlot. She had a house, too, where she would lure her victims, and wisdom has a house to which she invites all who are wise to come. And so that invitation is here today. It's sounding out from the the gospel. It's sounding out from the, the temptations of the world. Which house will we come into today? Now, some think of the seven pillars referred to the inner court of the Old Testament temple. Some believe it has reference to the, the beautiful bride of Christ, and it looks forward to the uh, unveiling of a glorious church the Scripture describes for us without spot or wrinkle. Well, we know these are figurative, even if their pictures do hark back to the, the temple and its facilities there. We know that even that building pointed to Christ and his finished work and what he would do. And so the church, someone has said, has been is built on seven pillars And I'd like for us to just consider them and mention them as we begin our study this morning. What are the seven pillars of the church? Well, the first pillar would be salvation. There's no one truly in the church of the Lord who's not been saved. Only saved people were given membership to the early church. And as you study the book of Acts, you see that. And then the pillar of baptism, which is a sign of God's people, baptized by immersion, publicly confessing their faith in Christ and obedience to the Lord, identifying themselves with the Lord in his death and burial and resurrection gladly, publicly. The Bible says that we should confess him before men, and those that that confess me before men, I will confess before my fathers. And that's one of the first ways that a believer uh, can do that. And so not only the the pillar of salvation and of baptism, but the the church is built on the pillar of of doctrine, of sound doctrine, the teachings of Jesus Christ that he committed to the apostles and the the essential part of the structure of the church. A, a, A church, a building is only as strong as the structure that holds it up. And the structure of a church is its doctrine. Then the fourth pillar is the pillar of fellowship. We see there, again, in the early chapters of the book of Acts and then described to us all the way through, they loved and cared for one another and uh, met one another's needs. And it wasn't just fellowship of having a potluck supper, but they, and although they did share meals together, but it was a constant working, laboring together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And then that leads us to the breaking of bread that our... In this, our own service tonight, we'll be observing the Lord's table, the, the memorial supper, remembering the, the Savior's work on the cross in obedience to our Lord's command. And then the sixth pillar, the, the pillar uh, of prayer. 
And we notice, especially in the book of Acts, that often the meetings of the church were uh, characterized by prayer. And much of what was done in a service would be calling on the name of the Lord in prayer meetings. The early believers realized that they had access into the Holy of Holies, <clears throat> that the, the work of Christ had made the way clear for us to go there. That was denied in a certain way to Old Testament believers who could never go to that place. But now we're to come boldly before the throne of grace. And then the seventh uh, pillar, the pillar of giving, how they lavished what they had, how they shared it upon one another and compassion for the poor. So we see these seven pillars that we see very clearly in the early church, the pillar of salvation and of baptism and of doctrine, of fellowship, of breaking of bread, of prayer, and the pillar of giving. Well, Paul said in Ephesians 3 verse 10, that in the uh, that the New Testament, that the, the principalities and powers and the in the heavenlies can see the manifold wisdom of God displayed in His church. Now the world doesn't look very highly upon the church. Uh, they think what we're doing is foolish, and you're giving your attendance and all the, the the part of your life that is taken up with the the work of the Lord in His church. But the Scripture tells us the wisdom of God is displayed or shown in His church. And it tells us even other amazing things that the angels look into the church, to, to they peer into the church and what is going on in the body of Christ to learn of grace and salvation, those things that they have not personally experienced. Well, seven in the Bible, we know this, is the number of perfection, isn't it? So God's wisdom is perfect, isn't it? His way is perfect. His doctrine is perfect. And so we come to this book knowing that it is the word of God, the revealed mind of God, and that it is perfect, that, that his word is above reproof. It will endure uh, uh, throughout the endless ages. And as the psalmist says, whatever you say about anything is correct and right. Once you have that settled in your mind, when you come to the Word in, in study and in prayer and preaching and hearing it, whatever God speaks to you through the Word, you put yourself under that. Oh, Lord, you've spoken. It is true. That's why we say amen to that. Lord, that is true. May it be true in my life. Well, the, the Bible says wisdom has builded her house and she's hewn out her seven pillars, these precious, precious things of the Lord. Verse 2 tells us she has killed her beasts. What a strange thing. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, in the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament system was a sacrificial system, wasn't it? The blood of bulls and goats, although pointing, they were pictures, object lessons, the innocent being slain for the guilty, blood being shed, how horrible, how gory. Now, none of us would say that that was a beautiful service. Some might leave a New Testament church service with its simplicity of prayer and singing and preaching and the, uh, the ordinances may be displayed. Oh, what a beautiful service that was. And without being sacrilegious or disrespectful, I don't think anyone could come from the temple sacrifices and say uh, outwardly as such what a beautiful service that was because of the blood, the, the smell of the burning of flesh and all that pertained there. Now, in a sense, to the mature believer who looked beyond the outward and who knew, and some of them did, knew the finished work of Christ and they were looking forward to Christ, it was beautiful. Even as we sing of the old rugged cross, a wondrous beauty I see, we know that the gore of our Lord on Calvary, what he suffered for us, the suffering and shame was not beautiful to the human eye, but what it accomplished is a glorious and wonderful and beautiful thing for us. There's great beauty in the work of our Lord. She has slain her beast. 
these pictures of our sin being dealt with, paying the debt of our sin to God. Every person is born with a debt of sin. It's a debt you could not pay. If you yourself were personally responsible for the United States debt, can you imagine such a thing? We can't even, we couldn't write it down on a piece of paper. We can't even fathom how many numbers trillions are. When you get past a thousand, it's mind-boggling to me, a hundred thousand or a million, I can go with it, at least in theory, after you get through them. But when you get to the billions and the trillions, I'm sorry, you've lost me. But now think about that debt, very real, that you had to pay, and it was uh, laid on your shoulders. You'd have to just give up and say, a thousand lifetimes. Being the richest person on earth would never pay that debt. Well, I want you to know your debt and my debt to God was far, far more unrealistic, not unrealistic, more unbearable, and the inability to pay it was far greater than the debt if you owed the national debt of the United States. You could never pay it off. You could never do enough good. You could never slay enough beasts. And so you'd, finally, if, if the United States debt was put on your shoulders today, you'd throw up your hands and say, I'm sorry. Do with me what you will. I can't pay it. That's the sinner, isn't it? That's the picture. Of this. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't meet perfection. I owe a, a debt of perfection to the holiness of God. I can't be perfect. I, I, a sin is ever with me. And so the sacrificial system shows us our debt that we owe that must be paid. It was foretold throughout the Old Testament. From the moment of man's sin in Genesis 3, the promise of the Redeemer was given by God to man. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity or warfare between thee and the woman and between thee and thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The promise of the seed of the woman, the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. Well, the sacrifice is complete. I'm glad to report to you this morning. There's no need to bring a lamb or a bullock or a turtle dove or any other blood of an animal to the Lord's house today. It would avail nothing because, you know why? If you brought the blood of bulls and goats today, of all the, those, the perfect spotless ones on earth, we'd have to say it is not uh, sufficient. It is not needed. Why? Because it is finished. It is finished. The work is done. No more offering of innocent lambs and rams and bullocks. Christ has met and satisfied the demands uh, that we that God uh, c- commanded of perfection and our great lack, our great need of imperfection. That's what the word propitiation means, that he is satisfied, that Christ's work satisfied God's wrath against sin and the perfect standard, the perfect law of God. Now the door is open. Wisdom invites us in to her furnished table. And uh, the table is set for us. When we observe the memorial supper, uh, the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the wisdom of God in devising salvation's plan. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. We couldn't have devised. Look at man's attempts to draw up a plan of salvation. When you think about the world's religions, how futile, how pitiful. There's no salvation in them. They're all based on works. There's no removal of sin. Those who follow other religions have no assurance that sin is removed or forgiven or cleansed. There's a continual offering, a continual coming, a continual giving. They never know if their gods or even if they think they serve the one true God is satisfied. And so the work of man has never, ever been able to do that. 
Man could not have devised salvation's plan. The triune God in eternity past devised, in the eternal counsels of God, devised the plan of salvation. Only the wisdom of God could do that. How could God be just, perfect, and the justifier of those that believe? It would seem like he'd have to violate something, wouldn't he? If he were to uh, say, upon our death, we stand before him, you come on into heaven. How can we do that? We're sinners. The scripture clearly tells us his eyes can't look upon sin. He's going to either have to violate his holiness or his justice or some other of his attributes. Well, what are we going to do? We have a problem here. We're sinners. All of us know that. And the Bible tells us that, hopeless and eternally lost. And But if we want to go to heaven, there's no way we can on our own. So what's God going to do? Only God could devise a plan. God had to become one of us. And so God the Son took on a body, took on flesh, and became uh, one of us. He came to this earth and totally satisfied the legal demands of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. He lived a sinless life and has satisfied the wrath of God so that our sins have been paid for. Somebody had to pay for them. But you and I paying for ours, what is a sinner paying for sin? What will that do? This doesn't do a thing. But Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, has paid for our sins and made atonement for us. We could not have devised it. And so God has made atonement for our sin by the blood of his precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we see that she's furnished her table there in verse 2. The, the banqueting table, the banqueting house. The Old Testament tells us, His banner over us is love. The law of Christ is sweeter, and the love of Christ is sweeter than wine. The gospel is sweet to a sinner's ear. I painted a, a bleak picture of the national debt and your debt, and it is a bleak picture, isn't it? But then we hear one has come and has paid it for us. Now, if you had heard that you owed the national debt, and you suffered and languished under that, and the threat of being imprisoned and incarcerated or even put to death for it if you couldn't pay for it. What a horrible way. And then you hear that someone has paid it for you. My, there have to be a great somebody to pay the national debt that you owed. Can you imagine how sweet that sound would be to hear that my debt is cleared, uh, my, my way is, is, is opened up for me. What a sweet sound. And so the gospel in its first news is bad news because we're sinners and we have a great debt. And then this good news comes. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It is a sweet sound that our Savior died for us. Well, wisdom has furnished her table. Now, the church sounds out the invitation, whosoever will may come. What an invitation to receive. You might receive an invitation to the Queen of England to tea at Buckingham Palace. I'm sure you'd be proud about that. You'd worry about what you'd wear and what you do. Do I bow? Do I go? Do I whatever? Your way has been paid and you've been summoned to, to see the queen. What an invitation. Or the president of the United States to come to a, a state banquet and sit in the place of the guest of honor. And uh, we'd think, what an invitation. I'm sure even if you couldn't go, you'd frame it. You'd show it to people. You'd put it on the mantle or on the bulletin board and, and just think about it. But think about this invitation. Whosoever will may come. Now, I'll tell you one thing. You won't get into Buckingham Palace except your name is on an engraved invitation and you show it to the right person and get in by the right door. And the security of the White House, you won't be able to get to a state dinner without the right invitation with your name on the list and checked and vetted and all, all the rest. But this invitation, you can put your name on it. 
Whosoever will may come. Think of it. To the most glorious meal and most glorious banquet in all the world. And whosoever will may come. This, the table is well supplied with everything you could ever desire. Our, our hopes are met in Christ. The, the soul's desires are met in Christ. The meat of the gospel satisfies. Not like the fairy tales of religion and the fairy tales and the stories of earth all around us. Oh, we hear some novel or some moving thing, watch some interesting program or, or uh, some news event or some documentary and it's interesting and it piques our interest. But there's nothing like the gospel. The meat of the doctrine of the word of God is as unfolded to us. This manna is sweet to us. The, the promise of direction and blessing in this life and the promise of life to come. The water is everlasting. It, it quenches our thirst, as the Lord told the woman at the well. The water from this well, you can drink from it and you'll, you'll be thirsty again. There's nothing on earth that will satisfy. But the water that you'll find in Christ Jesus opens up to a well of everlasting water. There's the lamb slain, the, the Passover lamb of which we partake by faith. His flesh is meat indeed. His blood is drink. And the ordinances of the church show this, that the work of our Savior, the accomplished work of our Savior, and they're just memorials to us. They don't add to what He's done. They have no saving efficacy, but they bring it home and clear to us because we have short memories, don't we? We need to be reminded. We need to be jarred from our lethargy. This is what Christ has done. These simple elements of the, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, these are pictures of His body and His blood. When a believer follows the Lord in baptism, the watery grave, our Lord was buried, died and buried and rose again for us. And we are raised in him to walk in newness of life. Well, verse 3 tells us, She hath sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Now, we're saved to go forth and give out these gospel invitations. How sad it would be that the banquet is ready and prepared and people don't know about it. That's the great problem, isn't it? The, the banqueting table is spread. The door is open. The Lord is inviting. And so many people are ignorant. We, we're to sound forth the gospel invitation. We're to advertise it. We're to herald it. We're to preach it. We're to invite personally people to come in. I wonder why so few believers invite people to come with them to church, to a banquet. Every time the gospel is preached, the banqueting table is opened up. Oh, you've been to an old-fashioned diner. They used to be... These are days long gone, all across Birmingham. Some of you remember the boarding houses where, they, where you could go in and eat, if you would. And there would be just home-cooked meals and Lazy Susan in the middle of the table and just the, the, the loaded down turnip greens, fried okra, you know, ham and, and chicken, all, all the rest. Just a, a lavish feast. Some of us remember the old-fashioned diners, such, such as Britland's. You all remember Britland's and, and then the Morrison's and all those places. Anything you wanted just be, be spread out there. Well, in a greater way than that, the gospel feast is spread every time the Lord's word is open and his gospel preached. Oh, what a lavish spread it is. There's something here for every sinner. I don't care where you are. The gospel will meet your need. I don't care how hungry you are or where you've come from. The gospel feast will meet your need. And we're to sound it forth. We're to go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. The sad thing, the folks don't even know they need it. They don't even know there's a feast. They're so stupid. They don't even know their great hunger. Uh, they're trying to find it in other things. They think their need is another drink or another a, a job. Or There's many things that, 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 that may be necessary or they think they 
need, but the greatest need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're sent forth as these maidens uh, are sent out, and she crieth upon the highest places of the city. Oh, we ought to do that. Give out the invitation to come. In Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. See what he calls himself? I'm the promise to David. I'm the the promise of the covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the end of the Davidic covenant. I'm the root and the offspring of David. I'm the bright and morning star. There's nothing that eclipses his brightness and his glory. And the spirit and the bride say, come. What an invitation that is. Come, come. Now, you know when, you, when someone invites you, whether you're sincerely invited or not, if someone says, go come to see us sometime, that's just a southern way of being nice. And if you showed up that night for supper, they'd be surprised. You know, even though they told you that morning, come see us sometime. There's very few people you could do that. Your mother, your daddy, your cousin, your maybe your brother or sister. I don't know. There's a very short list of people that you could just show up at supper time and expect them to expect you. And I don't know why we do that. We try to be sweet and kind, and we say, come see us. And we mean it generally, but at 6 o'clock at night, I have a general appetite, don't you? And so we need it met specifically. And so here he says, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come. Now, you know when someone's invitation is sincere because they'll say, would you come Tuesday night at 5 o'clock? We want you and your wife to come. And if they send a written invitation, boy, that's a really big deal, isn't it? They really want to nail it down. And we know when we're, but this is, the Lord has done everything on earth to invite people to the spirit and the bride. The church says come. The Holy Spirit says come. He that is a, uh, let him that is a thirst come. That, that includes everybody, doesn't it? And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Wonder why so few do. The invitation is clear. And we need to make it clear and plain. We sing those old gospel songs that make it clear and plain. Christ receiveth sinful men. Doesn't he do that? And so we need to tell folks that. In verse 4, it covers all categories of people. If you Are you simple? You're just naive? You don't know one thing from another? You've been deluded into thinking things that aren't true? Well, you can come. <laughs> You've... If you realize that's your circumstance, look what he says uh, there in verse uh, 4. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. The answer to your simplicity. Some might hear the gospel and say, well, I just don't know about that. I'm not sure. Well, you need to come. You need to consider. You need to hear the gospel. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding. Do you wonder about these things? Where you came from? Where you're going? Who God is? What is this about salvation? Come. Come to the banqueting house. That's where you're going to hear it. And drink of the wine which I have mingled. The Holy Spirit is here to teach you. Now, we're feeble and frail, don't know very much, and, and we don't, we're not inviting you to ourselves, okay? We're not saying that we are the epitome of all wisdom and of all knowledge and that we're the greatest example of what we're talking about. We point you to Jesus Christ in the best way that we can, in the clearest means that we can, we simply want to take his word and show you what he has said. The Holy Spirit is here, and you know I rely very heavily on him as I teach this lesson, as I preach the word of God, because I realize that only the Holy Spirit can show you these things. 
I can talk to you as a man to a man or man to a woman, but only the Holy Spirit can awaken and teach these things to your spirit and to lead you and guide you into all truth. But you know what? I have every confidence that he is here today. I have all confidence in this book and in the Savior behind this book and his precious spirit that he's here. Do you know why? How could you be so bold? is to say that, Brother Lamb. Well, I just lean upon the promises of God's Word. And I know this, the Scripture, the, our Lord says, where two or three are gathered, there I am. He's specific. He says, if you don't know where I am, where my people are gathered. Well, as I look around, I see the Lord's people here today. So I know He's here too. And where He is, the Spirit of God is showing and pointing and convicting and convincing and saving and sanctifying. Oh, what a glorious thing. Not because of Chris Lamb or Glen Iris Baptist Church, or the Sunday School of the Air, is His gospel. It is His Word. And the, the Father honors the Son, and the Holy Spirit honors the Son. The Holy Spirit doesn't even speak of Himself. He glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ, and so should we. Now, you may not fully understand the wisdom of God in the gospel, and that's all right, too. I would say, Lord, the Bible says, has an answer for that as we pray. If any of you lack wisdom, Lord, I don't understand what it means to be saved. I hear what that man is saying. I hear the facts of the gospel. But I need to know for me personally, I was in that place. I was raised in the church, heard these things, and still was ignorant of, of personal salvation, of myself being saved until the Lord showed me uh, the gospel, that I needed to be saved personally. Well, you know what? If you're in that, in that stage, I would invite you, Lord, show, to pray. Ask him. Show me, lead me into truth. Show me the gospel. You may be simple in your understanding, lacking assurance. You may say, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that this is for me? Well, wisdom's house is the church the Lord has established, and inside his feast is spread. And you'll find the answers uh, to those questions as you go to the Word of God, as you go to the people of God, as you hear his Word preached and his, uh, him being worshipped, where that simple reverent worship and the, the full uh, preaching of God's word is, there you'll find the answers that, uh, to your heart. The messengers have gone to invite you to come in. And it's no mistake that you're under the sound of the gospel today. Oh, what, how kind and gracious the Lord is to have arranged your circumstances where you can hear this word today. Again, not because it's me, it is because it's his word. To the weary, there's a message to the weary here. He, he that wanteth understanding, come. He, he, the, the invitation says, to the weary, come and rest. Do you know that's the invitation of the gospel? You may say, my soul is so tired. I've been to this religion and that religion and this church and that church. I don't have the answers. I don't know. I just, I'm, so, I'm wandering. I'm so tired in my soul. You know what the, the scripture says? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And the next is such a wonderful promise. I will give you rest. There's rest for you in Jesus Christ. And just as you're resting in that pew, you're not holding up your weight. You're leaning, resting the weight of your body on it. If you'll come to Jesus Christ by faith and rest your soul in his hands, you just put yourself in his hands. Lord, I come. I come to you. I, I, I relinquish myself to you. I put myself under your authority. And I come and believe your gospel to he that is weary. Come and rest. You know, the world's religions puts loads upon your back that you cannot bear. Jesus Christ says, I have come to give you rest.
to the hungry, those whose lust have not been have not been sated from your eating and your going. And he gives a very graphic picture of that at the end of this chapter. He goes right to the heart of the matter. Adultery and fornication, that will never satisfy the hunger of the soul. See, this is a soul matter. The inner man is just as real as the outer man is more real because the inner man will last throughout all of eternity. It is the inner man that will go into eternity and never cease to be. Now, that is the most important. Paul said... Though the outer man perish, the inner man is renewed day by day. Well, your heart, your soul needs to be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can picture the church as an end for weary travelers. Oh, have you ever been traveling and you just thought, if I could have a place to lay my head, I'm so tired, I'm so weary. The church, you can rest your soul there. There's all you need in Christ. Provision has been made. No, nothing has been uh, stinted on. No expense has been spared to purchase the salvation that's so freely offered to you. Now, it was very expensive. Let me tell you, you can't pay your way into heaven. And the price was great. The great cost has been paid for these provisions. It is the death of God's Son, His precious blood. All those old... Think of the the countless animals that were offered from, from Adam... All, and Abel all the way to when Jesus cried, it is finished. Daily, daily, the sacrifices, the blood. And none of that, not, none of that piled together paid for one sinner's salvation. But Jesus Christ's death in our place bought for us salvation. Oh, what a precious, precious gift it is. And what a lavish and expensive uh, gift it was. The most precious thing on earth, not all of heaven, is God's Son. You don't have to remain ignorant, and I'm not speaking down. The Holy Spirit uses the word simple. It means uninformed, not knowing what you need to know. And we've discussed some things that everyone needs to know. You don't have to stay in that I don't know category. Some people like to use the fashionable word, well, I'm an agnostic. I'm not an atheist. I'm not a Christian. I just don't know. Well, that's a pretty lame place to be. You need to know. You need to be one or the other. I'd be an atheist before I'd be an agnostic. Be decidedly something. But to say I don't know, that's almost as if he's real, maybe he won't. He, uh, that, to me, that, that the thinking is if there is a God, he won't favor me too bad because I haven't totally said there's not a God in heaven. But I want you to know nothing short of casting your soul upon his word and upon the Lord Jesus Christ will save. You don't have to have a, a high IQ. Praise God for that. You don't have to, to have several degrees behind your name. You don't have to remain ignorant of the gospel. Wisdom cries out to you. Look there in verse 4 of Proverbs 9. Whoso is simple, let him come in. That's a, an invitation to a specific category of people, to the agnostics and those who say, I don't know or I'm confused. To the simple, come in. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, come, come. Oh, no one is excluded. That's the great message of grace, is the message of come. And come to the Lord. And we sing, weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Raise your head for Christ is passing by. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Well, then we see in verse 6, forsake the foolish and live. And go in the way of understanding. Now, this gives us a condition to this amazing invitation. We see the invitation come from beginning to end. To all who would come to Christ for salvation, they're told 
There's a condition here. And do you know there are conditions? This gospel is free. It is clear. It is available. But it does have its conditions. And here we see to forsake the foolish, the foolishness of your own way. A a repenting sinner has to change their mind about the route they're on. I think of the, the thief on the cross. He started out railing and cursing. Just like the other thief, didn't he, at the beginning? But at some point, he changed his position, didn't he? This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. And we know he believes that because how does he address him? Lord, Messiah, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. So we must change our position. It is foolish to think that you can gain acceptance by some other way. Why would the Lord have gone to all the trouble to send his son to die in our place if you could work for it? Would he, would he go to such extent, such a gory death, such a horrible treatment of man, the darling of heaven to be used in that way, if your righteousness would pay for it? Why would, who would have given his son? What, what gracious heavenly father would have given his son if there was some other way? But I tell you, all who come in must come in by the door. Now, everyone that got in this building today, I'm going to tell you, I'm a prophet. I know how you got in. <laughs> you got in by a door, didn't you? Most of you came in the front door, and I know of several other doors here. There are other entrances, but I'll tell you one thing. If you're inside this building, you came in by a door. You had to get in some way. And no one is in Christ without coming in by the door, and he is the door. A thief and a robber will try to get in some other way, but it's futile. They cannot. You cannot get in salvation any other way. All who come in must come in by the door. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall prosper. It's foolish to try to cover your sins. Why? Because God is omniscient. His eye sees everything. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and good. People try to do their sins at night. They try to sneak around and cover it up and change this and hope that people don't find out. What a foolish thing that is. We cannot cover our sin, not for long. You remember what Nathan said to David? When he finally came, the preacher came and called and, and talked to David and said, now, David, you know, gave him that little story about the man who so heartlessly killed his neighbor's little lamb and ate it. and It was like their pet. And David got so mad. You know the story. And, and, uh, and finally, Nathan said, David, this is you. You're the man. And what else did he tell him about sin? This was done in secret. I'm paraphrasing here. This was done in secret, but it will be shouted throughout all of Israel. And you know, the higher the person is, the more it is. And it was. It was shouted from Did you hear about King David? You hear? And let me just tell you, you cannot cover sin. The only thing to do with sin is to open it up before the Lord. You don't have to tell me your sin. You don't have to tell a human being your sin. You may need to repent to someone that you've wronged, and that would be right and in line to do. But the confessing of our sin is to the Lord. Lord, you see all things. Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper. It is foolish to think that you can just cover sin, cover sin, and cover sin. And then what? You're still, if you covered it an entire lifetime and nobody ever found out about anything, guess what? There's a great day coming before whom we must stand, before whom we all will have to do, Hebrews tells us. It'll be open and bare and manifest. It will be uncovered. Now, Because of that, many other reasons, we should deal with our sin now. There will be no hope then. He that coveth his sin shall not prosper, not in this life and certainly not in the life to come. But, aren't you glad for those holy conjunctions? But, the other side of that coin is, whoso, that means the same invitation, whosoever confesseth and forsaketh. 
these twin graces, confession is saying the same thing that God says about it, and forsaking, that's true repentance, confessing and forsaking. What is the promise? Shall have mercy. Shall have mercy. When you see a shall in the Bible, it's God saying, I will. And has God ever willed to do something he didn't perform? When he decided, I'll build an earth, and he spoke and it came into existence, the world appeared, didn't it? When he said, I'll, sh- I'll have light, and he spoke and there was light, it came into existence. I'll make man, and he made man. They, man came into existence. When man failed, he said, I will redeem man. And, of course, he'd said that already before man was, was ever, ever fallen. And what God wills, he will do. Oh, underline those shalls in the Bible. The scripture says, whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper. That's, wherever there's a shall, it's absolutely the truth. And if God says you won't prosper, you won't pr- prosper. But, oh, the glorious news, whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall, think of it, shall, will have mercy. Wisdom's followers are no companions of fools. Fools say, well, I don't know about that. That's that Baptist preacher down there. You know how they are. Oh, they, they get all things stirred up, and he's, he believes that book. And foolish talking. S- foolish wisdom's followers are no companions of fools. For one thing, look to where they're headed. Look at their lives. Those who deny God or live as if there's no God in heaven. Is that a very wise way to live life? How is it working out for them? Look at the fruit of their marriage and their homes and their children and their, their lives. And even though it may seem illustrious and successful and wealthy from the outside, if you look deep enough, you'll see that fools and those who reject the Lord and go their own way, they have a horrible, horrible lot in life. But sinful ways are foolish and should be forsaken as well. Not just sinful people, but sinful ways. That gets it right down to where you and I live. Foolish ways, living against the precepts of God's word. Look in verse 6 at the phrase, and live true life, eternal life. In salvation, we pass from death to life, and we're made alive by his spirit. We're quickened and made new creatures. Go in the way of understanding. Come and then go. He calls us to come in and he sends us away to do what? To go in the way of understanding and to tell others. Wisdom gives understanding to the simple it enlightens the eyes. It makes wise the simple. God can use simple people. Aren't you glad of that? I think of someone like D.L. Moody. I'm reading a new biography of D.L. Moody. Just working in a shoe store. Illiterate. Uh, horrible circumstance. Poor circumstances. D.L. Moody's Sunday school teacher decided that he was going to personally visit every boy in his Sunday. He taught little junior, teenage, teenage little preteen boys. He was just 12, maybe 14, very early age. Uh, there in Chicago, and his Sunday school teacher said, I'm going to visit every boy in my class and just hog time. You know what I mean by hog time? I'm going to ask them, are you saved? If you died, do you know where you'd go to heaven? What about your soul? Just just do soul work. And he came to the shoes store where Duty, Moody was working. He was back in the back putting up shoes, and he talked to him, and he just, he just talked to him about his soul, and Moody was saved. Think about this. the simple act of what a Sunday school teacher ought to do Something everyone in the sound of my voice can do under those that you know, young people, grandchildren, neighbors. Do you know if you died tonight that you'd go to heaven? And that's what Moody, Sunday school teacher, did. Now, Moody was used absolutely, all you could do to, to, to describe it is that the Holy Spirit used him to shake Europe and the United States. He was not even known in the United States 
when people invited him to come and preach to, in England, and when he got there, the people that invited him really weren't there to receive him, and he had no place to go, no place to preach. And the Lord began to open doors till he became a household name in England and then in America. And then you know the Moody Bible Institute, Moody Church, and all the work of the, 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 the Lord has done th- through him. God can use simple people, can he? Aren't you glad that you don't have to be? Now we think of someone like the Apostle Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin, sat, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, and we'd all say, well, surely somebody can use something like that. But I want you to know it was Peter that was used on the day of Pentecost to preach, and thousands were saved. Unlearned, illiterate uh, fisherman Peter. What is, the, what is the, the common denominator here? It is the Lord. It is his Holy Spirit. You see your calling, brethren. Not many uh, wise men after the flesh. If we were to look at each other, and I'm not being condescending here today, but if we put all of our degrees beside each other and, and, and put it all out there, it wouldn't be much to look at. Not, a, not side by side to the world's standard. Not many wise after the flesh. Not many mighty or physically strong. Not many noble or called. Aren't you glad that that's, that's not what it takes? But God has chosen foolish things of the world. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Well, wisdom calls. The gospel call goes out. Have you answered the call of salvation? Have you come to the Lord and trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Let us pray. Now, Lord, thank you for your word today. How clear and plain. We pray that you would show us these things and those listening who need to hear from you. We pray that they'd open their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.